You know, my sermon title this morning is simply a question to you. How are you doing? You you know, my text is the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, and that's printed in the New King James in your handouts, together with the sermon outline for your easy reference. Now, you might find this sermon outline particularly useful this morning, uh, given the depth of the sermon. You know, one of the children was asked to rate the pastors in their sermons and how they were doing and how they felt about them. Bob got some great reviews. <laughs> when they came to me, they said, well, there's something I like about Pastor Dan. There's some things that uh, we don't. And they said, well, what is it you don't like? They said, well, we can't understand what he says. <laughs> we understood everything Bob says. And then they said, but we like the fact that he lets us, he lets us out early. <laughs> anyway, join with me as I walk through the words of Psalm 1914. And so, dear Lord, this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You know, someone has said, you can tell what a man likes by what he does. You can tell what a man thinks by what he says. But you can tell what a man is by how he prays. You know, when I read the prayers of Paul, one thing I know is that he was a man of God. There's an insight, there's an intimacy in his prayers that I, we should all want in our prayers And it's fascinating to read Paul and how he prayed for others. You know, when we pray, we often pray for Aunt Bessie to be be healed. We pray for someone to have a great trip and good weather as they journey on the highway. We pray for a person who has become unemployed and we pray for jobs. Well, Paul praying was different. When Paul prayed, his, his prayers were on another level, and I'm sure there was sickness in Colossae, but you never read of him praying for healings. We know that there were people who needed work, but you don't read of Paul praying for jobs. You know, when Paul lifted a prayer from a material dimension, he put it in a spiritual dimension. And when Paul prayed for these Colossians, he prayed for their vision, he prayed for their vitality, and he prayed for their victory. You see, when we ask for material things, we are asking God for his mercies. And when we pray for spiritual blessings, we're asking God for blessings and not mercies, because blessings are far more critical than mercies. You know, Paul was concerned how these Colossians were doing in this Christian walk, if you will. And we ought to be growing, growing farther and stronger and glowing brighter in our walk, our Christian life, every, every day. And I think in our text you're going to find that Paul makes five requests in this beautiful prayer to this church. Now I believe that these requests are really standards that we could use to gauge how we are doing Just as you go to a doctor occasionally to find how you're doing health-wise, getting a checkup, it's okay to drop in on the great physician and ask how you're doing spiritually. 
And we are to be truly growing in the Lord and maturing in the faith. And if that is true, there are several things that will be true about us. So first, in your outline, I want you to consider that we are to be guided by the will of God. Our text, verse 9, states, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. See, Paul says that we should be filled with the knowledge of God's will. The word knowledge here means to know from the heart, not just in the head. And when God saves a person, he does it in the heart. You know, if you look at Romans 10, 9 and 10, it states, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know, when God speaks to a person, he speaks to the person's heart. So in our heart of hearts, in our soul of souls, we, were to be, we are to be guided by the will of God. Now, this is a prayer that Paul prayed for the entire church. We are to be filled with the knowledge of God's will for our lives. And the will of God is not a secret for a select few. It's a revelation that is open to all. And I've mentioned this fact in other sermons, is that only you can discover the will in your life for you. And so the first consideration is to consider, A, a priority in perceiving the will of God. Please note, this prayer is in a sequence. It is not coincidental that the first request that Paul makes is that we know the will of God. If you are living the will of God, every other aspect of your life will fall into place. And Jesus said, that we were to seek first the kingdom of God and then everything else would be added onto us. Well, if we are to seek first the kingdom of God, then we are to seek first the will of God. See, you see, the will of God can never be separated from the kingdom of God and that is why you find side by side in the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So to seek First, God's kingdom is to seek first God's will because the word kingdom simply means rule. And that is what God's will is for our lives. He wants to rule our lives. And if you will get into the mainstream of God's will, he will take care of of the rest. And that is why Christians must make it a priority in perceiving the will of God. But most Christians are concerned more about the second coming of Jesus Christ, then they have a desire to know the will of God for their lives. But let me tell you, it would be better to know God's will for your life today than to know that he's coming tomorrow. Because when he comes, he wants to find you in the will of God. Then considering your outline B, a preeminence to performing the will of God. You know, there should be a priority to knowing the will of God, then a priority in doing the will of God. Now, inevitably, the question arises, how can I discover the will of God for my life? And the best way to learn the will of God that we do not know is to obey the will of God that we do know. See, God is not going to reveal his will for you in the next area of your life if you're not doing the will of God in the present area of your life. Partial obedience brings partial knowledge. 
Total obedience brings total knowledge. And the best way to know God's will is to simply say to God, I will. Now, it's not enough just to do things for God. It's not what we do that pleases God. It's when we do what he wants us to do that pleases God. You know, we are told that Jesus would go off into the mountains for the night and pray. Of course, we realize that that time could have been spent healing the sick. But that's not what God wanted him to do. We're also told that he spent 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. Well, he could have spent 40 days and 40 nights preaching the gospel and making sure that people were saved. But if he had done that, he would have been out of the will of God because the Spirit led him into the wilderness. Now, I want you to notice that Paul did not pray that we might have the knowledge of God, but that we might be filled with the knowledge of God. Because the will of God should dominate our lives every day in every way. You know, the Bible says in Psalm thirty-seven twenty-three, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Every step should be guided by the Lord. Knowing and doing the will of God should be the normal, ordinary way of life for the child of God. You know, the will of God is not, it's unnatural to the natural man, but it is natural to the supernatural man. Now, the word filled means to be controlled by. I've said before in other sermons that when a man is filled with anger, he is controlled by anger. Or to be filled with the Spirit means to be controlled by the Spirit. And so we are to be controlled by the will of God. And how is this to take place? Well, that leads us to our second request. And that is, we are to be guarded by the wisdom of God. Still in verse 9, Paul did not pray that we would have all knowledge. Paul prayed that we would have all wisdom. You see, it is one thing to understand the world around you. It is another thing to understand the world above you. And we live in a world today that is floating in a notion of knowledge and dying in a desert of wisdom. The most dangerous thing in the world we're learning today is to have knowledge without wisdom. Do you know what the problems of the world are today? Her problem is that she knows too many things, but not the right things. You see, knowledge knows facts, but wisdom knows God. Knowledge can explore the heavens that God made, but only wisdom can know the God who made the heavens. Wisdom is God's given ability to handle the knowledge that you have. You know, some of the most intellectual people in the world today are just educated fools. You know, we have brilliant scientists. We have Nobel Prize winners. We have intellectual giants who worship at the altar of science, all the while rejecting the God that made them. They have the knowledge, but they do not have the wisdom Proverbs 9.10 states, For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you do not know God, love God, and serve God, you are a fool. In these last days, more than money, power, organization, or political influence, the child of God is going to need wisdom. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 4.1, 
that in these latter days many will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits. We are going to need wisdom to determine truth from error. You see, the devil will use our vocabulary, but he will not use our dictionary. We're going to need wisdom to determine his deception and to understand the meaning that he's giving to our words. Where do we get this wisdom? Well, the same place you find the will of God is the same place you find the wisdom of God, and that is in the word of God. Proverbs 2.6 states, For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. We need to be in the word of God so that we can be guided by the will of God and guarded by the wisdom of God. Thirdly, Rodland, consider we are to be grounded in our walk with God. And verse 10 states, That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Notice again the order of this prayer. First, we find the will of God. Then, we find the wisdom of God. And only then may we truly walk with God. That is always the order in the Christian life. First the learning, then the living, first the doctrine, and then the duty. You know, the first thing we do is we, we believe, and then we behave. So we are to walk worthy. Listen, the only worthy walk is a wise walk in the will of God. Now, when we are walking worthy of the Lord, three things will be true. First, consider that we would be pleasing in our walk. All that we should do and all that we do should be fully pleasing to the Lord. We're not to please self, so it doesn't matter what I want. We're not to please society, so it doesn't matter what they think. We are to please only our Savior, and that is the only thing that matters. As I've said before in other sermons, if you please Jesus, you're going to displease the devil. And whenever you displease the devil, you're going to have trouble. But if you please Jesus, it doesn't matter whom you displease. And if you don't please Jesus, it doesn't matter whom you please. As a matter of fact, if you would just make up your mind to please Jesus, you will be happier with trouble than you would be without trouble if you were displeasing Jesus. You know, we ought to live that we, in such a manner that we always bring a smile to the face of God. We ought to have a pleasing walk for God. Second, consider that we ought to be productive in our work. Still verse 10, that is, bring fruitful, being fruitful in every good work. You know, if you are pleasing in our walk, you will be productive in our work for God. You see, the result is this, our walk must come before the work because our work is the result of the walk. And the closer you walk with God, the better you will work for God. And as a matter of fact, you cannot really be fruitful unless you are having a faithful walk. Jesus said in John fifteen five, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. 
that is nothing that God values. And notice the order. First there is the abiding, then there is the bearing. First there is the walk, then there is the work. And the best way to get God's work done is to get God's walk down. The most productive man who ever lived was a man called Jesus. He said, I am always about my father's business. He said in John 4.34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. So as you study his life, you'll find that his walk always came before his work. But let me turn this around. You're not, if you're not productive in your work, you're not pleasing in your walk. That's why he went on to say in John 15, 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. That is, if you are not working for the Lord, then you're not walking with the Lord. If you're not fruitful in your work, then you are neither faithful in your walk. It's not enough just to spend time with the Lord. You've got to spend time for the Lord. A walk without a godly work is worthless. If you are pleasing in your walk, you will be productive in your work. Third in your outline, consider progressing in our worship. You know, we are to be always increasing in our knowledge of God, not just our knowledge about God, but our knowledge of God. And this is the bottom line of the Christian life. To know God is to know the will of God. To know God is to know the wisdom of God. To know God is to know the works of God. And to know God is to know the ways of God. Not knowing about him, but knowing him. We need to be increasing in our knowledge of God. We need to know God more today than we did yesterday, but less than we know him tomorrow. You see... You cannot love God until you know God. And you cannot love God more until you know God better. And the better you know God, the more you will love God. And the more you love God, the better you will serve God. I know my wife better today than I knew her 58 years ago. Um, When I first met her. And I can tell you that I love her more today than I did 58 years ago. Because the better I know her, the more I love her. And if you want to love God more, you've got to spend more time with God. You've got to increase your knowledge of God. Fourth in your outline, consider we are to be girded. Girded in the work of God. Our text, verse 11, states... Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy. We are to be strengthened, Paul says, with all might. We need to be strong in the Lord. You know, Billy Sunday said, if the average Christian was as strong physically as he is spiritually, most Christians would be in the intensive care unit of the hospital. God does not need 87-pound spiritual weaklings carrying out his work and his will on this earth. 
And he wants us to be strong in his might. So first consider in your outline that we are to be strong in power. God's work can only be done God's way by God's power. It is an insult to deity to think that we can do the work of God in the strength of the flesh. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Zechariah 4.6. I want you to notice the vast supply of this power. We are to be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Do you realize that there is never a power shortage with God? He's never limited in his power. He is rather limited by our faith. God wants to give us all the power to do whatever he wants us to do for as long as he wants us to do it. And when God gives you all the power that you need, you still have not begun to tap the limits of his power. It is inexhaustible. You know, one of my favorite stories in the word of God is found in the fourth chapter of Second Kings. A woman had two sons, but she owed a lot of money to a creditor. This creditor was coming to take her sons to be his slaves in payment for the debt. She comes to Elisha and shares the problem, and he asked her if she had anything in the house. And she said she had a jar of oil to sell. So he told her to go and borrow vessels from everywhere, as many vessels as she could find. And he told her to make sure not just to gather a few, but to gather every conceivable vessel in the area. When she brought all these vessels back, she laid them at the feet of Elisha and left the room. And when she returned to the room, she noticed that all the vessels were full of oil. And Elisha said to her, bring me another vessel. And she said, there are no other vessels. When they ran out of vessels, the oil ceased. If she had had a million vessels, God would have filled them. You see, it's not that God ran out of oil, it's that she ran out of vessels. Now that is the kind of power that is available to the child of God. Listen. If God can do anything, I can do anything God can do if God wants me to do it. We are to be spiritual giants. We are to be strong in the Lord. And then we are to be strong in patience. And the word here refers to grace under trials. It refers to the ability to bear up under trouble, the ability to go into the kitchen and stand up to the heat. That is, when the tough gets going, when the, then the spiritually tough get going. And God gives us the power to persevere under trial. Some of you may know that Man of War was one of the greatest horses in history. Someone asked his trainer what made him such a wonderful racehorse. He said, well, some horses lead him at the turn. Some horses lead him in the back stretch. Some horses lead him in the home stretch, but no horse would ever lead him at the finish line. You know, some Christians, they run nobly at the beginning. They don't do badly at midpoint. But the Christian who is strong in perseverance goes all the way to victory and glory. And then we are told to be strong in perseverance. 
You know, that word long-suffering in verse 11 is more properly translated perseverance. And the former word that we discussed, patience, describes how we respond to difficult circumstances. But this word refers to how we respond to difficult people. Have you ever known people who try your patience, who are critical, who say hard things, who get on your nerves? The only way we should respond to those kind of people is with long-suffering, that is, with patience, meekness, gentleness, and for that we need, believe me, the power of God. Some years ago, I shared a humorous story worth repeating. It fits, it fits right here so nicely. It's about a man that was pushing a baby carriage. And there was a baby in the carriage just having a temper tantrum. He was throwing things and screaming and yelling and spitting. And this man was saying, now, Albert, easy, Albert. Take it easy, Albert. There, there, Albert. And the lady saw all this and walked up to the man and said, Sir, I have never seen a man more kind and more gentle. It is so wonderful to see how patient you are with little Albert. And he said, that's Sam. I'm Albert. (laughs) It sounds like most of you didn't remember the story. So I can repeat it again, say, in a couple of years. Well, we all need that kind of patient long-suffering grace. And when you are strong in the Lord, when you are girded in this war with, for God, you're always going to have the grace that you need so that you can respond to, this, to these difficult people who always come. Fourth in your outline, consider we are to be strong in praise. You know, not only should we be patient, but we should be joyfully patient. It's one thing to go through the fire. It's another thing to go through the fire with a smile on your face. It's one thing to be persecuted. It's another thing to rejoice and be exceedingly glad when you are persecuted. We are not only to be strong in power and perseverance, we are to be strong in praise. Circumstances should never have an effect on the joy of a mature Christian. Our joy is not dependent about upon what's going on around us, but rather upon whom is within us. You know, joy should always be the flag that is flying from the Christian's heart when Jesus is in residence there. I think that's a song. If circumstances can rob you of your joy, it's not real joy. Last thing, fifth in your outline, consider to be grateful for the ways of God. Our text, verse 12, states, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. I want you to see how this prayer has come full circle. You see, if you are guided by the will of God, you will be grateful for the ways of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything... Give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If you are being guided by the will of God, you will be grateful for the ways of God. 
Let's consider three. First, consider who we are. We will be grateful because we are saints called out and separated unto the Lord. We belong to him and he belongs to us. That is our position. Secondly, consider what we have. We are the heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. All that he has is ours. We have the title deed to heaven, and eye has not seen nor ear heard what God has prepared for those of us who love him. That is our possession. And third, consider where we are going. We are headed for the saints in the light. That is where heaven is. There is no darkness there. We are headed for the land that is fairer than day. That is our prospect. And so we should be grateful for what we have, our possession. And we're, we're grateful for where we are going, our perspective. If you are doing well in the Christian life, an attitude of gratitude will permeate your life. You know, Christians are often ungrateful to their Heavenly Father. He has loved us, washed us, and saved us, and he's reserved a home for us in heaven. Well, none of us is doing as well in the Christian life as we ought to do. But you know what? We should pray for one another that we would continue to grow stronger, go farther, and glow brighter for the glory of God. Amen? The service is over. I think we should go and pray for New Hope Chapel and ask God that we may be filled with the knowledge of his will with all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Listen, men, meet for prayer here at New Hope Chapel on Mondays at 6.30 p.m. Come. Women, meet on Wednesdays at 9.30 in the morning. Come. If these times are impossible, then seek others and form prayer groups for your available time. Amen? Amen. Blessings to all of you. We'll see you next week. Amen.